Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy sheltering in place to you. Don't you find it interesting that we are now using phrases in this world that we never would have imagined we'd use? Sheltering in place just hasn't been on the radar, and now here we are. It's a thing. <laughs> you have no doubt, as I have, sensed both the surreal and the sacred in this moment in history. You've probably seen and experienced and talked about things you never would have had this moment not been allowed to come upon us. I was literally just looking at a post on Instagram that you've probably seen, a New York hospital hallway full of nurses literally on their knees or standing with their hands lifted, crying out together in prayer for healing over the patients that they're caring for. You've no doubt seen evidence in your own life as well, in your own home, that something much bigger than this virus is stirring. Nathan and I have talked about how truly unimaginable it is that for the most part, this is worldwide. There's not been many moments in history besides, I guess, an actual world war that we've been so connected by something worldwide. We're used to seeing things happen from country to country or state to state, but it's just been bizarre to see my friends from Australia or the UK posting about their quarantine and about how they're having to hoard toilet paper and figure out work and school along with the rest of us. I know that it's been logistically a very real challenge as we juggle our families and mealtimes and whatever might be happening with income and work. It is no small thing to just navigate this from a living standpoint, but then to try to get our heads around all the implications of this moving forward. It's just a whole other thing. Plus, what's in it for us on a heart level? You might not even be at the heart level place, and I get that. Just know that you're not alone in the struggle. There's a cavern of unknown for all of us in this, so all the more reason that we need to stay connected as best we can to encourage one another in this. If you'd like to stay connected even more, you can become a patron of this podcast, which means that you will always get the podcast early, as well as a lot of other perks. But what is kind of happening is that this little community has formed. This week, we just started a prayer post, and it's been so sweet and just empowering, actually, to get to see specific ways that we can be praying for each other during these days. You can go to patreon.com slash for more information on how you can be a part of our patron community for this podcast. Nathan and I have said to each other many times over the last few days that we can't imagine if this had happened when our kids were little. So all you mamas and daddies out there with little ones, my heart truly goes out to you during this time. I know you are exhausted and it feels like this is never gonna end. There's just an actual physical and mental overload that can happen even when life is normal when you're parenting kids under the age of 10. Let's just be honest. Now that's not to say that this is like a piece of cake for parents with teenagers. Yes, the physical strain of parenting kind of lifts when you have teenagers, but there can be an increased emotional and mental and spiritual strain as you're trying to lead teenagers in something like we're going through. All that to say, if you're new to this podcast and you haven't listened to the older podcast, just a thought, I did a series in 2018 called There's No Place Like Home. And that actually might be really helpful to some of you right now to look some of those episodes up. Nathan and I are very used to life and work and schooling all happening within the walls of our home. It's actually all we've ever known. We do travel, but when we're home, 
we're home. So since many of you have become instant homeschoolers overnight, um, just some quick tips right off the bat to keep your sanity. And maybe you're just having to work from home right now with your littles. It's a lot. Some of you who listen to the No Place Like Home series might remember some of this, but as weird as it sounds, use lighting as well as sound in your home to help set the tone for what's next. You're going to need to set up work time or school time and then wind down time. And you can do a lot of that with just simply using lighting and sound in your home. So in the morning time, when it's work time, school time, keep things light and airy, but quiet. In fact, when the kids were in grade school, we didn't even allow cartoons or TV at breakfast on a school morning. I know that sounds a little bit strict, but there's just this tone that cartoons can secretly set that you might not even be aware of. It like creates a silent circus when you're not looking, when <laughs> that explodes later on. I will say that there are some cartoons out there that have been created for the exact purpose of creating a sense of calm. And if you know what those are and your 10-year-old son would actually quietly watch those, then great. I'm just saying for the most part, we had to do away with cartoons on a homeschool morning when the kids were in grade school. It just helped. The purpose was to set apart the morning for work and school. And then after work and school, you get to veg out a little bit. You can turn your brain off and you can have time to chill. So try to designate a time also for lunch where everyone kind of stops. Let's all stop our work. Let's all get in the you know, kitchen together. Let's make something and then go outside. Have a little recess. Make sure you're getting outside, going on a walk. Just sit out in the grass in front in the front yard or the backyard. Get some fresh air. The days that it has been sunny this week, I've taken full advantage. Like I've worked and chilled on the porch even in the midst of bees and wasps now in full spring mode. It just lifts my spirit to be outside in the fresh air. So make sure you're doing that. If you still have nap time in your house, turn the lights down low. Turn off the TV. Get the house in quiet mode even before you start talking about nap time. Lower your voice. Sometimes I would just start quietly singing. They would resist me at first, of course, but then I would just keep quietly singing as a way of showing them what time it is. Same thing for bedtime. When you want everything to wind down, which I mean for a season, y'all, that can be early if you need it to, especially if you have littles. I mean, if I were you, I'd keep that afternoon nap reined in so that you can have your littles down in the seven o'clock hour. There ain't nothing wrong with that. (laughs) But remember, set the tone in your home before you tell everyone it's time for bed. Settle your home down and it will settle everyone in your home down. We don't even have littles anymore, but we start winding down as early as supper time. We light a candle for the table. We eat by twinkle lights. Did you know that we have Christmas lights hung in our kitchen year-round? They're like cafe lights, but really they're just glorified white Christmas lights that we didn't take down from the first Christmas we were in this house. And we love them. We love to eat by Christmas light. Maybe you should put some twinkle lights in your dining room in this season. It will help. But just turn all the overhead lights off. It could be too stimulating and you're not even realizing it. If you're in the bath time routine still, have your husband handle the kids while you go and run the bath water and get it ready so that you don't have the lights full blast with water running full blast and you're yelling over it, telling them to get in the bathtub. (laughs) You want to create like a day spa here. You want this to be relaxing so that your kids will chill out. 
even if you're single and you don't have kids, use lighting and music and, you know, draw a bath. Make yourself chill out. We have an actual record player for this reason in our house because we just love the particular sound that comes from a vinyl record. Maybe you should start a vinyl record collection. I'm just saying. Or just have a playlist. We have one that's literally called Chill. And now I know you're wondering, what's on Christy and Nathan's Chill playlist? I'm going to admit something to you that's maybe a little bit embarrassing and it's going to maybe make your head spin a little bit. (laughs) I know you're imagining us with worship music playing 24-7 in our home, but when we are going to chill out, we actually don't listen to modern worship music. I can't believe I'm actually saying this out loud to you. Do we love modern worship? Of course. Many of the worship leaders you listen to every day are our actual friends, and we love them. You absolutely should listen to worship music 24-7 if it's what calms you. But can I explain something to you? This is an interesting fact about us. Well, Because Nathan and I are worshipers at our very core of our beings, and so are you, worshiping God branches out, as we all know, so much farther than just listening to music. So there's that. And even in music, we can sense and experience God in all kinds of genres of music, as long as it's not dishonoring to Him, of course, and it's music that is laced with life and His light. But because Nathan has produced modern worship music for the last 25 years, as you can imagine, listening to it at the dinner table or before bed is not relaxing or worshipful for Nathan or for me because I know it's not relaxing to him. I look over and I know that he's automatically in work mode. He's analyzing it. He's listening to the guitar tones and the different digital plugins that he can hear in the track. He can hear how the vocal's been recorded and mixed and what digital reverb is sitting on that vocal. And all of a sudden, he's pulled out of the moment. (laughs) We actually kind of get jealous that many of you just get to hear modern worship music for the beauty that it is, and it doesn't feel like work to you. It feels like mysterious glory in your home, and it should. It's an interesting dilemma, to say the least. I'm just being really honest with you. Do we worship God through music? Yes, all the time. And we even still write modern worship music. But it's not going to be what chills us out. It's always going to be activating for us in the moment, if that makes sense. It's going to make our wheels turn or make us feel like we need to get up and write or do something. All that to say, we have to pay attention to what calms us and what activates us, what motivates us. If I need to get up and just do a major house cleaning for a day, I could majorly hang with a modern worship record because it is what is going to activate me personally. It's going to make my wheels spin and my gears start changing. But at the dinner table, when it's time to start winding down our day, we are specific with choosing music that for us personally has a style that takes us somewhere. And that's the thing. Worship music most likely does that for all of you. It takes you somewhere otherly, and it should. I guarantee you it was purposed for that, whoever wrote it. And we need that too. We need something that transcends work mode for us. And because we work a lot in the modern worship world and have led worship for the last 25 years, we kind of need this sound that takes us to Jesus and to His peace in a way that we normally wouldn't think to go. That's just the artist in us, I guess. So all that said, now you know something really quirky about Nathan and Christy Knuckles. (laughs) On our chill list, you can find a lot of Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. 
This is kind of a throwback, but our kids still love the Nickel Creek album, which is a bluegrass band from about 20 years ago. We listen to that a lot still. It's very nostalgic for the kids. We love Ben Rector. Some of his slower songs are on our chill list. Johnny Swim, Colony House. We also just love instrumental music. And we happen to know that a lot of those people we just mentioned are believers, actually all of them are. So that helps. Do I recommend this music to everyone? No, you do you. By all means, play modern worship music 24-7 in your home. (laughs) And by all means, let it calm you. Let your home be filled with the truth of God. Nathan and I, our hope is that truth comes in the form of our conversation as we are able to tune out the activation of work and hone in on our kids and chill out together for dinner maybe a game of cards. For us, this is us pursuing the peace of Jesus. Maybe just through a mandolin rather than electric guitar, whatever works. There's something to be said about finding the truth and life and the light of God laced in mundane places that we might not think to look. Speaking of, my friend Megan and I were giggling last week about me having an all-out worship experience in my car the other day as I was playing a Peter Gabriel song. (laughs) We laughed because I told her what song it was, and she played it and maybe didn't have the same all-out praise moment that I did. And you probably wouldn't either if you heard it. It just kind of had to be there and maybe like up in my brain a little. But I had to go to the grocery store. I've tried to only go, of course, when we absolutely are out of something. But I didn't realize how much I just needed to get out and go on a drive. I also didn't realize how much anxiety and worry that I had just bottled up inside of me until I started driving into the afternoon sun. I turned on a song that my brother Eric had sent me not long ago after we had returned from Israel. It's a song by Peter Gabriel, like I said, that most of you would know from the movie Say Anything. It's called In Your Eyes, but it's from a live album that Peter Gabriel did back in 2019 called Growing Up. I have to be honest, I just wasn't ready for how it hit me in the moment. I never ever thought of this song from the perspective of singing it to Jesus about being caught up in His eyes and His gaze upon us, those who belong to Him. In the Gospels, it says many times that Jesus looked at them. And when it says that, that word actually means to properly stare at with a locked-in gaze, meaning to look at in a sustained, concentrated way with special interest, love, and concern. Can you imagine getting in on that? Jesus looking at us in that way. And with everything that has been going on, trying to make sure our family's safe, trying to respond to what we feel like God is doing in this moment, I just needed to lock eyes with Jesus, even just with faith in that moment. Faith that will someday be our sight when we finally get to truly look our Savior in the eyes, to be able to know that somehow we endured and now we get to spend eternity knowing Him for real. So this moment of pure abandonment and worship in my car totally snuck up on me as I started singing along with Mr. Gabriel. Those of you who were raised in the 80s, you know this chorus. In your eyes, the light, the heat. In your eyes, I am complete. In your eyes, I see the doorway of a thousand churches. In your eyes, the resolution of all the fruitless searches In your eyes, oh, I want to be that complete to touch the light, the heat I see in your eyes. He goes on to say, love, 
I get so lost sometimes. Days pass and this emptiness fills my heart. When I want to run away, I drive off in my car. But whichever way I go, I come back to the place you are. And all my instincts, they return. And the grand facade soon will burn. Without a noise and without my pride, I reach out from the inside. By this time, y'all, I was bawling. I had one hand on the steering wheel and one hand raised out across my front seat. I was smiling at everyone that drove by thinking that they were listening to the same thing. I totally didn't care. I got completely undignified in my car. And then at the end, there was just this little outro as he closed the song, and I just came undone as he sang, accepting all I've said and done. I want to stand and stare again till there's nothing left out. Oh, it remains there in your eyes. Whatever comes and goes, I'll hear your silent call. I will touch this tender wall till I know I'm home again. Beloved, no matter how you feel in this moment, you are not alone. God is right there with you, and chances are we're all feeling it too. And this might sound kind of funny, but you need to set the tone for just you. You might need a country drive where you just get to stop and stare again at Jesus. I mean, for heaven's sake, put on worship music because let's face it, Peter Gabriel might not cut it for you, but whatever you listen to, make sure you're doing what you need to do to get lost in the locked-in, loving eyes of Jesus over you. One way that we can all do this together, of course, is to jump into the beautiful Word of God together that He has so graciously already given us. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Our beautiful Hebrew letter today is the letter Gimel, which is the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It means to give or deal out and can even mean ascend. If you even look at the letter that my sweet daughter Ellie painted for us, you'll see that even the architecture of the classical Hebrew letter looks like a man who is walking. And the yod branching out from the letter looks like his leg, and it's showing us which direction he is walking. In this case, he is said to be walking toward the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which we will learn about next episode. But initially, that fourth letter is dalet, which means impoverished. Even the pictograph of this letter dalet, the fourth letter, is associated with being bent over and even being behind a closed door. And this letter is said to be listening for Gimel, our letter for this episode, as it is said to be walking toward the impoverished to give him blessing and charity. When the Bible speaks of a kinsman redeemer, as in Leviticus 25, 26, or of course, the beautiful story of Ruth, it's associated with the root of this word or this letter, Gimel. We know that God identified himself as the redeemer of Israel and all mankind, as in Psalm 19, 14, when David called him our rock and our redeemer. Jesus himself is also called our redeemer, the savior of the world in John 4, 42. He's the one who runs toward the poor, those who are poor physically and spiritually, which before Jesus, that's all of us. Gimel also is said to represent the Holy Spirit, as it's the third letter of the alphabet. This would give us Aleph, the Father, Bet, the Son, and then Gimel, the Holy Spirit, who is called our Helper. 
What gimel truly means for us is that we are called to run after the way of the Lord by practicing specifically what is called His kessed love. That's actually said like kessed love. I decided that's going to be really distracting if I try to say that. So we're going to say hesed, but you do say that like, like it's like a something caught in your throat kind of sound, and that's just not going to be pretty. So the hesed love of God, which is His loving kindness. This is important for us because we need to know His loving kindness over us first, don't we? So that we can show His loving kindness to others. You know me by now that I'm a sucker for the order of things because I believe ultimately that God is our source for everything, even our source for being able to show others loving kindness, which we're having to do in close quarters right now, right? Like we never imagined. You and I know by now that our own love grows cold over time. If it's just up to us, we're going to come up short. Or like that melting bag of ice I described to you, our own resources are fleeting. So where do we go in order to learn how to love others? We have to allow ourselves to be loved first by God's hesed love. And then we let it spill out over onto others. We put on our own oxygen mask first, right? And then we help others. It's important for us to remember that God's Hesed love is primary. It's before all things because He is before all things. First John 4, 8 says that God is love. You can't separate love from who He is, and He is before all things, Colossians 1. And even at the beginning of time, this world was spoken out from His Hesed love over us. Did you know that there's not an English word in existence that can even come close to explaining this hesed love of the Lord? If you use some of these words collectively, you can kind of come close, scholars say. You have to use them all together. Mercy, grace, compassion, kindness, steadfast, loyal love, covenant love, loving kindness. Again, if you use all these together, you can kind of come close to what God's hesed love means. Psalm 63.3 uses this word hesed when it says your steadfast love, your hesed is better than life. His hesed love is mentioned 243 times in the Old Testament. As we've been studying, even the Torah and the laws were birthed and hemmed in by his steadfast covenant love for us. I'm going to read our verses over us for today in this beautiful acrostic that is Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors." Well, in honor of the order of things, we're going to use that very first line, verse 17, sort of as our finger that pushes over a whole landscape of dominoes, sort of a cause and effect type thing. The singer prays here, God, deal bountifully with your servant. 
When I think of the word bountifully or bountiful, I think of a banquet feast. I think of getting in on some kind of royal treatment here where everything you could ever need or want is just at your fingertips. But then the singer goes and uses this word servant at the end. Deal bountifully with your servant. It feels like a word here that kind of reigns in all my thoughts and appetites and sobers me to remember, oh yeah, I'm here to serve, not to be served, as Christ was here to serve and not be served. However, Christopher Ashe, the theologian that I've gleaned from in this series, from this book called Bible Delight on Psalm 119, he has an interesting thought towards the singer calling himself a servant here, and it just might still fit with my initial banqueting table appetite. He says the title servant of the Lord is a title of dignity. It means one who belongs to the Lord, who is bound to the Lord by bonds of the covenant, which we know are bonds of love, who is safely in the Lord's household, to whom the Lord is committed and for whom the Lord has promised to act in rescue. The singer uses this title 13 times in this psalm, and nine out of the 13 of those times, it sits in the context of persecution and pressure. He goes on to say, Moses and the prophets are called servants of the Lord. And in those wonderful prophetic passages in Isaiah 40 through 55, God calls the Lord Jesus Christ, my servant. This is a covenant title that indicates a relationship of trust and dignity. The more forcefully and painfully danger asserts itself, the more precious becomes the singer's covenant union with the Lord. All this is happening, he says, not just to poor little me who just happens to not like it. No, it's happening to your servant, God, to who you are deeply committed by covenant. Isn't that sweet to remember right now? God is deeply committed by covenant to you. We are living in a global pause that has caused global pressure to come upon all people, economically, socially, spiritually. How amazing is it to think that this time of pressure could actually be precious because ultimately this pressure is pointing us to His promise. So again, he says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. And this very next line really says it all in terms of how God might truly answer this desperate prayer in a way that changes everything for the singer and for us as we learn to sing it. How might God deal bountifully with us, His servants? He prays this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Okay, at first glance, it might not sound like a beautiful banqueting table, but let's press into this. What difference does it make when God opens our eyes? It changes everything. His law or his instruction tells us everything we need to know about who he is. And the singer says that these things are wondrous things. In the Psalms, the wonders of the Lord were always pointing to his acts of rescue and even his provision over us, his protection over us. So the first thing that we see is that he is a God of rescue. Like our letter, Gimel, walking towards Delet, he walks towards us to show us his loving kindness, ultimately, that we will learn to show his loving kindness back toward him and, of course, to others. Remember, this has always been about relationship. Psalm 26.3 says, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. Again, when he deals bountifully, he opens our eyes, and we see what? 
We see His steadfast love. And what do we do because of it? We walk in His faithfulness. In opening our eyes, this is Him valuing Himself on our behalf, bringing His steadfast love into view as our source for everything we need right now. We see His love. Our eyes are locked into who He is again, not just to be loved, but as the source for loving Him back and for loving those He's called us to love today. With eyes open, the singer declares something else really interesting. With eyes open, he sees I'm a sojourner here on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. With our eyes wide open in this life, we begin to detect and know deep within, now more than ever probably, that we're foreigners here. We don't belong to this world. This is not our true home. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13 goes on to say, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. With eyes wide open, we see the rescue of God because of this steadfast love, and we see our refuge who is God, our final home. The promised land mentioned in the Old Testament was always just a picture of the real age to come when we will live not just as servants, but as sons and daughters in the house of the Lord forever. With eyes wide open, we see that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Several days ago, a friend sent me a video of Dr. Tony Evans, the founder and pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. He was preaching a message that you can Google. It's actually called, What on Earth is Going On? And he's teaching with his four precious children right there around him. Three of them are actually friends of mine, Crystal Hurst, Priscilla Shire, Anthony Evans, and his youngest son is Jonathan. But we ended up playing a portion of this message for our kids because I thought what he shared was so critical and so encouraging for this crazy moment in history. His message was based around Hebrews 12, just a chapter over, 18 through 28. This section of scripture is entitled, A Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. Verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is speaking, of course, of the Mosaic law and when it was given. But with eyes wide open to the full rescue of God, who is Jesus, we get to go on to verse 22, and it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering. That kind of sounds bountiful, doesn't it? 
and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This kind of goes along with Psalm 119.21. I'm going to go ahead and pull it in here. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, or in other words, those who reject God's covenant, who wander from your commandments. This is chilling here. Back to Hebrews 12, verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When we see God as a consuming fire in Scripture, it's associated with His holiness. And again here, His steadfast love in that He is a jealous God, meaning that He desires that we value and love Him above every person, place, or thing. I agree with Dr. Evans that God is allowing in this strange season for things that can be shaken, to be shaken. Right now, school has been shaken for both the child and the parent. Any sense of security we might have had in that has maybe gone out the window, at least temporarily. The entertainment world has been shaken. Networks aren't filming. Ironically, American Idol has come to a screeching halt. Our family actually got sucked into this season, and now it's like the ultimate cliffhanger of what's going to happen to the top 20. We don't have dance class. We don't have gym. We don't have sports events in real time or on television. We can't go to restaurants or work meetings. We can't even go to Bible study. I believe ultimately this is because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, and He is calling our hearts back to His. He is shaking up our allegiance and our affections that we might break free from any form of idolatry. When we think of an idol, I've talked about this before, we have a hard time not thinking of like little golden images, right? But an idol, again, is any person, place, or thing that we have elevated in our hearts above God or even just set before our eyes and our lives more than we have God and His Word. I wholeheartedly believe that this is a time for us to personally allow our own hearts and lives to be shaken so that the things that can be shaken in our own little world will and that we might become free of anything that we have elevated above God in our lives. This God who first loved and pursued us will not be mocked. He deserves and desires our all, but what He won't do is get up in our face and demand it. But He very well might derail the plans of mankind for a moment to help us remember that He is a consuming fire and that He longs for us to be consumed with longing for Him. Even the way we gather as the church has been shaken, and I believe this is a moment for us as the body of Christ to repent and to cleanse our way, to set our eyes on the Lord again, 
Even the beginning of this very passage in Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Things that can be shaken are being shaken so that we can see the things that cannot be shaken. I'm not saying that God caused this turmoil, but He is most certainly allowing it to make us uncomfortable, to shake things up so that we are not found with no chance to repent. I'd say this is a big, bountiful chance to repent. I'm preaching to the choir, I know. But I want you to know that I'm taking this personally to heart because I believe that it is a biblical response to these times. I will say, hasn't it been beautiful all in all? that we've been able to remember that the church truly isn't a building. It's us, right? Hasn't it made you appreciate the church all the more, even longing to be together again? I believe that God is allowing this absence to make our hearts grow even fonder of each other. I believe He wants us to remember, and I talk about this in my book quite a bit, that it's not about what we are building, but instead the truth that He is building us. We are the house God is building, and the foundation underneath God's house cannot be shaken. Back to Psalm 119, verse 20 says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. We used to look at that word rules differently, didn't we? We would sit and wonder why our soul wasn't consumed with longing for God's rules. (laughs) Again, we'd much rather stick to Psalm 23. I get it. I posted Psalm 23 the other day, and we should stick to it. We need to let the Word of God comfort us. But actually, we're learning that God's rules are comforting, aren't they? If we're able to see with His eyes what His rules really are. If you'll remember that His rules here are His judgments. It has to do with the way that He sovereignly runs the world. Like my friend Shannon Scott said on Instagram the other day, I'm going to subscribe to the sovereignty of God right now. I don't know about you, but my soul is longing and is consumed with desperation to know that He is in control and that He is making decisions on behalf of His people that are favorable. 
This is something we can sing from the moment we wake up until the sun goes down. God, my soul is consumed with your word. My soul is pining, which is how Christopher puts it, pining for what your word is going to reveal to me about how you're already running the world and how you're already making favorable decisions on behalf of those you love, God. This word pining reminds me of the last episode when we talked about meditating on the Word of God, as in to be deeply satisfied, like our favorite comforting meal. It's a heart hunger that is satisfied in God alone and in His Word. The phrase we kept repeating last episode was, God's Word in the mouth keeps us walking in the way. Well, this episode, I think we can say in addition to that, my eyes on His Word and his wonders keeps me walking in the way. The last verse, verse 24, we'll skip to that. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I think it's really fitting that our letter in the Hebrew alphabet, this episode, Gimel, is associated with the Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor. The truth is, we can read God's word, but to truly understand it, we must have our eyes opened by the Holy Spirit. I've tried to get in the habit of praying every time that the Holy Spirit will come and reveal God's word to me. Sometimes I sit and I'll just find myself reading and I'll be like, what am I reading right now? (laughs) And I'll have to stop again and just say, Spirit of God, come reveal to me what this is saying. I want to know. I've talked about this before about how God's word is the only book ever written that self-authenticates itself as you read, as you ask the author to explain it as you read it to give you understanding and insight into it. We must ask, seek, and knock. Just a simple prayer will do, humbling yourself by saying, Spirit of God, I need you. Come and reveal the wonders of God and His Word to me in Jesus' name. When you get stuck on something, ask the Holy Spirit first before you dig into a commentary. Sometimes He'll use a commentary, but the point is, ask. Our eyes on His Word and His wonders keeps us walking in the way. As we ask God to reveal His Word to us, we walk in His way, but most importantly, we draw near to the keeper of the key, which is what Christopher says. He says, it is His book, and the key to unlock it is in His hands. Again, we see a loving, covenant-keeping, soul-reaching, rescuing, and redeeming God who simply wants us to draw near Him. May these times of intense pressure squeeze us toward God, squeeze us toward the keeper of the key that we might stand and stare again until nothing's left out and we find all that we need in Him as we sing along to whatever song brings the calm so that we might fix our hearts on who He is. Maybe even a little unexpected Peter Gabriel. Jesus, in your eyes, I am complete. In your eyes, I see the doorway of a thousand churches. In your eyes, the resolution of all the fruitless searches. I want to touch the light, the heat I see in your eyes. I'll talk to you soon.